the opportunity to be able to, you know, bring to you what God spoke to me about. And so if you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to flip with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Pastors had mentioned uh, earlier that Brianna and I are going to be uh, going out of town this week. We're excited about it. It's just going to be her and I. We haven't, we haven't done anything like that since, uh, since our honeymoon, actually, like actually leaving the country. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to it. Um, that was a little over nine years ago. Nine years ago. So uh, it's been a minute, been a long time coming. But I'm not, I'm not terribly excited about leaving the kids behind. You know, I feel like that's going to be like real cool for like two days. And then it's like, mm, I kind of want to, I kind of want to be with my kids. But it, uh, it's They'll be in good hands. They'll be in good hands. The pastors are going to be watching uh, the kids. So pray for Judah. Pray for Judah and Addie, you know, as he uh, stays with uh, Drill Sergeant Gallinar Sr. You know, what's funny, though, is that I say that, I say that, and I guarantee you that Judah will likely get away with things that I never got away with as a kid, you know. He will like, he will... <laughs> He will likely be able to do some things that I, I was for sure not allowed to do. It's funny every time I bring that up to my dad and I'm like, man, if I would have done that, you would have gotten on my case. He's like, I would have not. I'm like, you live in a fantasy world. I don't know. I don't know. Like the maybe time just erases things or whatever. But yeah, no, there's no chance. But so anyways, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a good time. You there in Second Samuel chapter seven? Second Samuel chapter seven, beginning in verse number one, says, the following, when the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel, whom I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of the army says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done." Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to King David. Now we're going to flip to chapter 12, also in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. We were just in verse number 7. I'm sorry, we were just in chapter 7. And now we are going to be in chapter 12. So from chapter 7 to chapter 12, something takes place in the life of King David. He gets intermingled with Bathsheba. And for those that are not familiar with the story, let me just give you a quick synopsis, the Sparknotes version. King David, his army was at war, except that King David was at home. He wasn't leading from the front. He wasn't with his men. He was hanging out at the palace, relaxing, kicking his feet up as opposed to being with his men. And one day he decides to go to the roof of his palace and he looks out. And what does he see? He sees a woman bathing herself who was very beautiful. And so he asks, who is this woman? And they say that that's actually the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Uriah, Uriah is one of his men, one of his soldiers. Well, he calls for Bathsheba to come over to the palace, and he ends up sleeping with Bathsheba. No sooner does he sleep with Bathsheba, soon thereafter, Bathsheba finds out that she's pregnant. So what does King David do? King David, at first, tries to figure out a way to make it seem as though Uriah was the one that impregnated his wife. He brings him back to the palace. He gives him food. He wines and dines him and tells Uriah, hey, man, go home. You know, be with your wife. And Uriah has nothing to do with it. He's like, how am I going to go home and be with my wife and eat and drink and lounge when my men are on the field fighting a battle? I can't do that. It already tells you the kind of quality, the faithfulness that Uriah had to his men that were on the battlefield. And so when King David figured out that there wasn't going to be any way to kind of weasel his way into getting out of this, what does he do? He decides to order Uriah to be placed on the front lines. And he requests that they place him on the front lines where the battle is at its, at its hardest. And in a moment, pull back from him so he's alone and so he could be killed. And that's exactly what happens. They put Uriah in the front lines. They peel back at one point, And Uriah is struck down and killed. And so now we pick up in chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink. And in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. Verse 5 says, David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he had done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord of God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. 
You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all of Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. I entitled my message for this morning, Tough Conversations. Tough Conversations. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. It was true back then. It's true now. It will be true forever, Lord. We, can, we, we were able to apply your word back then. We can apply it now. We'll always be able to apply it for, to our lives, Jesus. We thank you for it. We ask you that you open our minds, soften our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us this morning. Instruct us. Teach us. Convict us if we need to be convicted, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we walk out differently than we walked in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Who here has had some really great jobs in the past? Like a job that you look back on and you're like, man, that was a fun, that was a fun job. Some of you didn't even raise your hand. No, they're like, no, all of them stunk. They're, I hated all of them. No. <laughs> I've had some pretty good ones. Uh, I've had some good ones. I've had some bad ones. Um, some that, quite honestly, I, I don't know how I lasted. Um, but I've had, some, I've had some pretty cool, cool positions. And one of the jobs that I enjoyed very much uh, was when I was at Liberty University and I used to work at the registrar's office. Um, working at Liberty was great. I made, I made really great friends there, friends that I still have to this day. And, and it was fun. There was a lot of great, you know, the dynamic between myself and the team and, and the people that worked there. I mean, it was fun. It was a fun environment, you know. Um, and I will say this, this has nothing to do with my message, but I just kind of wanted to throw it in there. The position that I'm speaking about specifically was when uh, I had the title of, it was called Assistant Director of Graduate Transfer Evaluations. Say that 10 times fast. We used to just say AD, Assistant Director, is what we used to, is what we used to call it or whatever. But um, that position was actually a, a major godsend because um, that was towards the end of Brianna's pregnancy with Judah, Brianna and I had decided that, hey, I, we don't want to put Judah in daycare. We, I want Judah to stay home with Brianna. And at that time, I was just a transfer evaluator. I was just a member of a team. I, wasn't, I didn't lead a team. And right towards the end, that we were praying for a way in which you know, we can make this happen. And the way that we needed to make that happen was I needed to have more dollars coming into my pocket. And right towards the end of the pregnancy, sure enough, this position opens up, which like rarely happened when it, when it came to like promotions and stuff like that at Liberty, somebody either had to leave or die. Like it was like they were like locked into those positions, you know. Um, and sure enough, right at the end, one of the one of the, the former AD, the, the job who's the person whose position I took decided to move away. And so this position came up, and to be quite honest with you, it was in a different team that I had no experience with. I did not lead a team. I had no leadership experience in that capacity, but I decided to go for it. And we prayed, and we believed that God would open up the doors and that this would be the financial you know, cushion to allow us to be able to keep Judah at home and for Brianna to stay with him. And wouldn't you know it, we prayed, and we believed, and we declared, and God opened that door. 
and and I and I acquired that position. I got that promotion, and it was a major a major godsend. But the job itself was was really really cool. I, I oversaw a team of roughly eleven people, I believe is what it was, and we were responsible for all like the transcripts of graduate and doctoral students. And we would get the transcripts, and we would look at them, and we would award credit based upon what you did in the other school and the courses that were here. And I enjoyed it. I, I had a really great time. Being a supervisor was fun. I, I felt like I had great connections with everybody on the team. Um, but one of the challenges that I dealt with, not regularly, but that did come up during my tenure there as assistant director was um, having to have difficult conversations with people, having to have tough conversations with, with people, whether it pertained to work quality or behavior, whatever it was, sometimes I had to call somebody out. Um, and that's not always enjoyable for me. You know, I, it's not it's not the most fun thing in the world, um, but I used to do this thing that I, I would take people on a walk in the campus, right? So we were in the registrar's office, and I would take somebody on a walk, and we would have a conversation while walking because my brain works better when I walk, hence the reason that I walk a lot when I preach. So it's not, it's craziness, but it's just, it allows the, the wheels to keep turning. Anyways, um, but yeah, I would, I, would do, I would do that. I would, I would you know, send a chat and be like, hey, come, come and take a walk with me. And it was funny because people started to catch on. And so like when, uh, when I would stand up and like one other person would stand up and they'd see us walk together, everybody would be like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but that was just my way of doing it. You know, we would walk around the campus and it's like, hey, everything good? All right, cool. So look, this is what's going on. You know, like uh, either I, I'm finding that you're, you're distracted, man. Like, or, you know, you just have to have those really difficult, like awkward, you know, and it's funny because some of these people were older than me and here's like somebody younger, like having to like discipline somebody older, somebody that's had far more experience on the team. It just puts you in an awkward position, but that was part of the job. And so if I was going to have the luxury of being able to interview people and hire people, which I did and I very much enjoyed, I also had to, the flip side to that is, hey, if people get out of line, you're going to have to be willing to have the tough conversations or else find yourself another position that you could be the nice guy all the time. So I don't love to, to do that, but the job required it. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Being a prophet of God back in the Old Testament was no easy endeavor. It was no easy endeavor whatsoever. You were effectively God's mouthpiece. You were his megaphone. And the message you delivered wasn't always an encouraging one. The prophet Isaiah was one that experienced this on numerous occasions. The prophet Nathan, that we just read about, had a particularly difficult job because he had to deliver tough messages to King David himself. So on the one hand, we read in chapter 7 that Nathan comes and he brings great news. He brings an awesome prophecy, if you will. He goes to David as instructed by the Lord to tell him that God is going to establish your dynasty. Like from your seed, like this, this dynasty is going to be established. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you, wherever you went and I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And I will appoint you a place for my people and Israel will plant them and will plant them. And so that they will, they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and lie down with your fathers. 
I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with stripes from the... Uh, with stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from it as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I mean, these, if you're going to deliver a message, that's the message you want to deliver. If you're going to deliver good news, that's the news right there. Bro, hey, oye, lo que te espera, what's coming in the years to come, bro, is a really great life. Like God is going to, I mean, he's already done some wild stuff in your past. But he's going to do some great stuff in your future. And it's not even just you. It's your kids, man. It's your children. He's going to develop your dynasty like as a kingdom. And it will not, I mean, it's just, what a message. That's the message you want to bring. That's the fun part, right? I can't even imagine how excited, like imagine hearing that as a father, as a parent, like, hey, what God is going to do through you with your children for generations to come. Establish a kingdom. Your people will have peace finally. I mean, God, that's, that's the message. On the other hand, Nathan had to rebuke David. In 2 Samuel chapter 12 for what, he did to, for what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah. He had to come down hard. He gets to bring a great word, but he also had to bring correction. Verse 10, now, Therefore, the sword, will, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despise me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before you, before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of him, in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. Interestingly, though, you have that the prophet Nathan brings this great message. He brings a rebuke, a very strong rebuke, and essentially says, by the way, the child that is going to be born to you will die as a result of your sin. I mean, he brings the worst news possible. And yet in 1 Chronicles 3, 5, it outlines the children that David had with Bathsheba, and one of them is named Nathan. Because many people believe that he did that as a sense of respect for the, the prophet that Nathan was. The guy that was willing to bring good news, the guy that was willing to bring bad news cherished, loved for his faithfulness. You see, because it's not always the people, you, uh, in your corner, you don't just want people that, that, that whisper sweet nothings to you. In your corner, you don't want people that are, are just going to flatter you all the time and tell you great things all the time. In your corner, you want people that flatter you and tell you, hey, man, you're doing a good job. But you also want those same people to be willing and able and have the openness and the connection with you to say, hey, you got to step it up. I see that you're dropping the ball. What you're doing here, what, what, what you're thinking here is not, it ain't it. You got to change course. We have to be willing to have that type of relationship with those that are around us, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially with God. Amen. So having been in, in church my whole life, and having gone to conferences, and man, I've heard more sermons, and I've, I've heard more speakers than I, than I can count. And I've heard messages about kingdom work. I mean, I've heard thousands. I've heard messages that, that have told me that God has gifted me with talents and abilities and that I need to use them to expand the kingdom. I've heard it left and right my whole life. And now, mind you, I agree with this notion. 
I do believe that God has bestowed upon each of us things designed specifically to advance the kingdom. I believe that he's gifted us, that, he, that he's bestowed upon us, that it's, that it's in there, it's in you. It might be buried deep, but it's in you whether you know it or not. But one thing I've always found is that messages such as these often leave people in a state of paralysis as they work to identify what those talents are. So you come out of a sermon series, you know, and you're encouraged, and hey, we've got work to do, and God's blessed you, and God's calling you, and, 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 he's, and he's got gifts and talents that he's placed upon your lives, and you're supposed to work to expand the kingdom and grow the kingdom, and you leave encouraged and bold, and, but, but, but you're stuck thinking, like, okay, like, well, so, what, so what's my thing? What, what am I supposed to do? Is it, am, am, I, am I supposed to be singing for the Lord, Jen? You know, am I, am I, am I, I'm, it was easy. It was easy. It was softball. It was, I had, I love you to death. I love you to death. I, I only did it because I knew you you're cool with it. I only did it because you were cool with it, you know? All right. We get out of one of those messages and we think to ourselves, is it, is it singing? Am I supposed to sing for the Lord? Am I supposed to be speaking? Am I supposed to start a ministry? Am I supposed to start a podcast? Am I supposed to take to the streets? What the heck am I supposed to do? I mean, I work a nine to five job and I have kids. Like, what's like, what's, what am I supposed to do? What are my talents and what are my gifts? And it kind of like, it feels as though it makes more sense for like, oh, that, that, a message like that makes great sense for the pastor and the youth pastor and whoever else. But what about me living just a regular day to day life? And we end up in this analysis paralysis trying to figure out our place in this giant kingdom puzzle. What are we supposed to do? The, just the regular people. Am I supposed to sell the house and go to Africa and live in a hut and minister? I don't know. I don't think so. I, so we just stay stuck and paralyzed. And then we just end up not doing anything. And then a year later, we hear another, another message such as this. And then we kind of get back to it like, man, I got a gift and a talent, but I don't really quite know what it is. Um, you know, I, in an effort to simplify things, I, I stand before you today and I say, yes, you do have gifts. And yes, you do have talents. And we all have things that God has bestowed upon us that are particular to us to be used to grow and expand the kingdom. And I don't know what those gifts are for you. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know. Maybe if we sat and we talked and we kind of dove into it, you know, maybe we kind of navigate that together. I don't know what that is, but I encourage you to find out. I encourage you to fast and take it before the Lord and say, God, what have you gifted me with? However, as you do that, and as you kind of get that going, here is something I believe that God has called all of us to do. And I think something that we can all get behind is this, that I believe God has called us to have the tough conversations. God has called us to have the tough conversations. We're all very much, all of us, each and every single one of us that is in this building right now, we are all very much like the prophet Nathan. And that on the one hand, we come bearing the greatest news ever delivered. And that news is that we have a savior whose name is Jesus, who came to this earth and he took on flesh and he took a punishment that was meant for us. He took on a punishment and a beating that was meant for me. I am the one who sinned. I'm the one who fell short. I'm the one that dropped the ball. And yet Jesus, in his grace and his compassion, took upon himself the wages of my sin so that I could be forgiven, so that I can experience salvation, and I can have the hope of spending eternity with the Father in heaven. That's the news that I come with. An innocent Savior took my place. 
My debt was wiped clean. Not because I earned anything. Not because I did anything to get it. Not because I was able to, I don't know, uh, 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 you know, I don't know, try to deal and stuff like that with the Lord. No, I didn't do anything. I couldn't have done anything. But because of this overwhelming, unreasonable love that God has for me, I am forgiven. And I stand before the Lord, Scott Clean. That's the news that we bring. That is the story of the gospel. That is the greatest story, the greatest piece of information that anyone possesses. And we have it. That's, that's what we bring. That's what we bring to the table. That's our story. But we're also like the prophet Nathan in that we must come with correction. This is where it gets sticky. This is what we don't like. By correction, I mean that we must be willing to have the tough talks. The world is imposing its will on us, whether we like it or not. The level of depravity, the level of confusion, the level of hate that is running rampant in this world is astounding. And what this world needs more than anything else is people that are armed with the word of God who are unafraid to speak out, who see the world as it is and are willing to push back against the grain and fight for truth, even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's inconvenient. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we close up in prayer and you get on a soapbox in the corner on the street with a megaphone and you start shouting at people, condemning them for this. And that's not what I'm asking you to do. And I'm not telling you to pick a Facebook fight with a friend or a family. Because there is, man, if there is one thing I hate in this world, it's two keyboard warriors duking it out in the comments section. Like a couple of idiots. Like Facebook, no. No, no, what, like, what is that? Whose opinions are gonna be changed there? People fighting it out on Instagram or fighting it out on Facebook or some stupidity, like no, that's not, nobody's, nobody's convicted in that setting. No, no hearts are changed in that environment. What I am suggesting though, is that you establish a standard for your life based upon the word of God. That you don't adjust for anyone or anything. And if that standard is challenged, whether by a spouse, whether by a family member, whether by a friend, a coworker, whoever, you have the tough talk. No. This is why I won't bend on that. And in this household, we believe this. And we believe that God called us to do that. And yeah, we know this is popular right now, but this is why we disagree with that. I know that this is a fad right now. And this is cool, and everybody and their mother's applauding this thing. But this is why I don't applaud this because of this, because God told me to do that. Because in this house, we stand on the word. We don't stand on a stupid TikTok trend. We don't stand on whatever the heck Hollywood's coming out with or whatever politicians are telling us is the in thing now or what we have to be okay with or what we have to embrace now because if not, we're not being inclusive or whatever the heck. No. We have the tough talk. And we say, look, I get it. The world's pushing it. But that doesn't mean I got to go with it. 
Just because the current is moving this way doesn't mean that I got to dive in and lay on my back and just float along with it because God knows that freaking current is going to lead you straight to hell. Get real. I have the tough talks. Gotta have the tough talks. And I think God is God is wanting a tough church. A, t- a church that doesn't shy away from, from the tough issues. Now, now believe me, I'm not, you know, I'm not a whole, like, I'm not into the whole fire and brimstone and let's just beat the heck out of anybody who comes in here. That's not what I want. But I do believe that God has called us to be like the prophet Nathan. We are going to deliver, man, the best news you've ever heard. The most life-changing news you've ever heard. But at the same time, let's discuss the things that are wrong in this world and why they're wrong. Why, why God has called us to be, why, why God tells us that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Why God has called us to be a light in this world. Light only ever operates in the midst of darkness. Hence, we live in a dark place. And so we do nothing being the super nice, super soft Christians. That's great. And I think we should be kind. And I think we should be loving. But I don't think that we should be, be uh, uh, unwilling to be, just the kind of Christians that get washed up with whatever new thing comes around, or the kind of Christians that's just too afraid to speak out on what God actually called us to do. The fact is that the world is going to continue to suffocate us and jam things down our throats. It doesn't mean that we have to swallow it. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I call my sister every day. Every single day, I call my sister during my lunch break. I have an hour lunch break. I eat. I call Brianna, and I see how the kids are doing. And we talk, and we, you know, what's going on? What are you, you know, what are you up to? What's Judah doing? What's Addie doing? Addie's typically taking a nap. Um, we talk about what we're going to have for dinner, you know. We do all that and anything that might be going on or whatever. And then once I'm done with, with, with Brianna, I call my sister. And it's like jokes. Like her and I are just in there, and like, hey, what's going on? You know, her. And I, we share podcasts a lot because I listen to podcasts while I work. Hey, what'd you listen to today? Oh, you heard that? Well, that was funny. Yeah, a lot of that. And this, uh, I, I don't think it was this last week, but the week prior, uh, Christy and I were on the phone, and we got into this conversation of growing up as pastors' kids. You know, which was an experience. You know. Uh, growing up as a pastor's kid. And man, we were cracking up just talking about some of the funny things that we experienced as kids. One of the, one of the jokes that we always have with each other and uh, was back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember when the church was Vida Nueva, Vida Nueva Christian Ministries, you guys know where I'm going. Vida Nueva Christian Ministries, there used to be the church van and it had plastered on the side Vida Nueva Christian Ministries with a giant dove. Well, my dad would drop me off at school in that van sometimes. And I don't know, man, but like at 13 years old, like hopping out of a van, and I mean hopping because it was like tall, you know what I mean? And I'm not a very big guy, you know what I mean? So you open it up or whatever, and you're kind of like, you know, and walk in, and then like, you know, you kind of like keep your head down just in case you want anybody to see you. And then one of your boys comes up to you like, bro, was that you coming out of the church van? I'm like, that was me, man. Why? What happened there? No, my dad's a pastor. Your dad's a pastor? I'm like, yeah, dude, we, I go to church a lot, man. You know? You know? They're like, wow, that's cool. 
you know? And so my sister and I were just, you know, we were clowning with each other, like, man, that was so funny. And it's funny because that was middle school and then that was high school too. And some of your more formidable years is high school, man. High school, you really want to be cool. And you want to know what's not cool? Jumping out of a church van as a, as a ninth grader and a sophomore, you know? It's just, I don't know. And the funny thing is that, the, well, the worst part of it was that I couldn't tell my dad this, you know, because my dad would get offended. Ike? What? What are you, what are you embarrassed? You know? And I'm like, dad, it's a church van. I don't know. It just like, you know, can I, can I just take the butt, like the regular bus instead? No, I'm going to take you, you know? And, you know, dad's like, hey, that should be an opportunity for you to minister. And it's like, dad, I'm already embarrassed as it is. You know? Oh, man. So my sister and I were dying laughing about that. And we're like, yeah, dude, that's funny. And then we talked about, like, Saturdays, you know. Saturday, the minute that I turned 15, well, the minute that my sister and I both turned 15, we got jobs. I worked at Dairy Queen. Eventually, I worked at Chick-fil-A. My sister worked at, like, an Italian restaurant at one point. I forgot where else she worked or whatever. But, like, it was one of those things that, like, Saturday night, we worked all, all day. You know, like, the minute I could make money, I wanted to make money. And so I started working at Dairy Queen, and I would open – or not open, but I would close the store, which was – it closed at, like, 10. By the time you clean the store, you're getting home at, like, 11. And then Dad would swing. He'd, he'd swing by. He'd pick me up or whatever. And it was like, it doesn't matter how late it is, bro. You better, you better take a shower, go to bed, because the next morning you're going to be up behind that drum kit. We're going to be going to church. It did not matter. I could be dying, you know what I mean? And it was like there was no calling in sick. I had zero sick days in my house. The benefits were skimp as it pertained to sick days and church. I, I had none, you know? And then if, like, Friday, what was I doing Fridays? Fridays I was at youth group, bro. Friday night I was at youth group. Saturday I was at work. Sunday I was at church. That was my weekend. Every single weekend, weekend in, weekend out, you know. So as far as high school parties are concerned, I went to zero, you know. And like, I, you know, you kind of get, you get into junior year, you get into senior. All right, bro, we we got a little get together going at the house. You coming? Nah, dog, I got a youth group, you know. Like, oh, that's cool, you know. Like, it's tough, man. I'm not gonna lie, it was difficult. You know. Well, I'm getting to that. You know. It was, uh, we laughed about it, man. We were cracking up about the stinking church, man. And, you know, and it just, it, it, that's, that was our life growing up. That was our life growing up. We saw the highs and the lows. You know, dad didn't go into ministry because he made great money or anything. I mean, we saw the water be shut off at the house. There was many Christmases where mom was like, guys, hey, like, just kind of letting you know, it's going to be a, you know, a, a light Christmas. Like, we had those conversations and stuff like that. Like, we, we lived that kind of life. And, and then my sister was like, bro, but you want to know something, though? Would you change it? And I was like, nah, dude, why would I change it? I'm like, like, I'm, like at this age, what, like, what is there to change? Like, why would I, why would I change anything? If I could go back, I, I wouldn't have changed it. And uh, she's like, no, I, I wouldn't have changed it either. And, you know, I told her, I was like, you know what? It was the standard that was set. It was the standard that was, that, that was set. Um, and, and in the moment, I hated it. I'll be honest with you. If, I could, if I'm going to be straightforward, the Christian life thing is tough and it's inconvenient at times. I don't, you know, I make no bones about that. Like living the Christian lifestyle is not easy. It doesn't come easy. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for kids that are in high school right now. You know, like that, it's challenging. This, this generation, if it was tough for me, it's just continuously getting tough with how crazy this world gets. But when I was in it, I hated it. I hated it. There was, mo not all the time, but there was moments when I was like, God, I wish I could just live the normal, like, like a normal teenage lifestyle. But you want to know something, though? I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing. 
because it's cemented into my mind, it's cemented into my sister's mind what was important. And it, and it designated the Lord as first and foremost in our lives. That, hey, it doesn't matter how you're feeling. What comes first here is the Lord and our relationship with him. And I'm blessed to say that I, I, I never got to the point where I felt as though I wanted to rebel or anything like that. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I did stupid things at Liberty. I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll shoot straight with you. You know, I had my moments of freedom or whatever. But I stand before you, a 31-year-old 30, with two kids that's like, yo, guess what we're doing on Sundays? We're going to church, you know? And now that, that same standard, that same, hey, what do we put first in our lives? Who is it that we follow after? I am now imposing that upon my children. Because I understand, I understand that it was that standard that kept me out of trouble. I understand that it was that standard that kept me deep in my relationship with the Lord. It was that standard that offered me the opportunity now to look at life and look around and see the craziness and see friends that I once went to high school with entering in stupidity. And I look at that now and I think, man, I can, I can stand here sure that I am still solid on the word of God because I had to hop out of that stupid church van when I was younger and I had to go to church on Friday and I have to go to church on Sundays but you know what the Lord is first in my life and he's the first in my kids life and I wouldn't change a thing Proverbs 28 23 says he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. And I experienced this when I had those walks with people on my team. A lot of times the after effect was phenomenal because it was this level of like, you called me out, but you did it with grace and tact and okay, I'll, all right, my bad. Let me, let me work to be better. My parents weren't my friends growing up. They were not my friends and I think that's a, that's a, that's a thing that like I, I'm trying to ensure that I don't do now. I feel like my dad, you know, the, the relationship's different now as a 31 year old with, with children, you know, but when I was in high school and middle school and stuff like that, my parents were not my friends. They were my parents, but they were the standard bearers. They were the standard bearers. There was the, there were the ones that carried out the tough talks because there were times when I wanted to go to the party and my dad said, no, you're not, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go to youth group. You're going to go to youth group. Because what's more important than the drink is you getting in the word and being around people that know and love the Lord. I know you're tired because you worked all night and you're getting home and it's 11 and it's 12 o'clock at night and you're worn out. But tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up and you're going to get dressed and we're going to go to church. Because it is a blessing to be able to go and usher people into the presence of God. I play the drums. It is a blessing to go and bring a word. It is a blessing to go and serve others. It is a blessing to go and enjoy the freedom that we have to come together as a congregation and get into his word. Those are the tough talks that my dad had to have with me, that my mom had to have with me, and my sister. But I'm grateful for those tough talks. And so on the one hand, my parents have always been my biggest fans. Always. If there's any, like, if, if, I, if I know that, the, if, if, if I have a cheerleader in my life, it's my parents, without question. And they're going to be there to pump me up and give me a word of encouragement. Likewise, they're also going to be there to call me out on my nonsense. 
And so I think that as a church, we've got work to do. I think the work is that we have to be willing to have those tough conversations with ourselves, be willing to be the kind of Christians that establish a standard, and whenever that standard is questioned, we have the tough talk. In other words, be a Christian with some grit. Be a Christian that's not smooth, but is willing to say, nope, nope, this is why, this is why no. Again, I don't know what the, the gifts and the things that God has bestowed upon your life, but what he is calling you to do is to be very much like the prophet Nathan. You bring that gospel message. But when there is error to correct, you correct it. You, you establish a standard in your home, at your work life, in your relationships with others. And anytime that's challenged, you have the tough talk with yourself or whoever needs to hear it. That this is who I'm following. This is who I've chosen to place my gaze upon. This is what I've chosen to do because it's what God has called me to do. In the meantime, I'm going to figure out if God's called me to be a singer or not. But I can tell you right now, I'm going to have those tough conversations and establish that standard in my life. Stand with me this morning. So yes, we've, we've got work to do. We've got work to do. In a world spiraling out, we have the distinct privilege and responsibility to be like the prophet Nathan. The distinct privilege and responsibility to be like the prophet Nathan. We bring the greatest story ever told. We bring Jesus. We bring the story of grace and forgiveness and compassion. We bring encouragement, and we bring that love of Jesus, but we also bring order and truth. We have the tough talks. I fully believe that the world hasn't seen its craziest because of Christians that are holding down the fort in any way that they can, that are trying their best push forward, whether it be in the realm of politics or in corporate America or what have you. But let me tell you that the opposition is fierce. The opposition is fierce. And the temptation to be soft, Christians, is great, especially in our Western world, where what we want or what we value in a church setting is great coffee and, you know, a cool experience and great music and, you know, I just want to be encouraged by the pastor. All great things. All great things. But you want to know, I feel as though I'm at a point in my life where like, I kind of want to be called out on my nonsense too because I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in this place. Like I want to continue to grow. And the only way that you grow is by working on the things that you need to grow from. And so I think that as Christians, that's what we're called to do. Because truth be told, an unwillingness, or rather a fear, to have the tough talks, to hold the standard here in, the, in this world, to stand on truth regardless of how inconvenient it is. Truth is, that's no love at all. That's not love. An unwillingness to say, hey, I think God wants better for you. And I think this lifestyle choice ain't it. This is why. That's love. 
that's real love, then I'm just going to love you as you are. I think that's a great place to start, sure. I love you as you are, but I love you too much to not tell you why I think there's more for you. You have that conversation with your kids. You have that conversations with your family. You have those conversations with your friends, with your coworkers. You don't berate, but with tact, with grace, with understanding. You enter into those tough talks from a position of love, as a loving father would do, as a loving mother would do. So love well by holding the standard and having the tough talk. Let us pray this morning. <clears throat> ah. God, I, I thank you, Lord, for... I thank you, Lord, for the way that you instruct and you discipline us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you stretch and you challenge and you break and you mold us, Lord. And I thank you that as a loving Father, you don't leave us as we are, but you challenge us to be greater. You push us to strive for more, to reach out to what you've called us to do, Lord. But God, I, I come to you right now and I, and I ask for your forgiveness for being fearful of pushing back for being fearful and unwilling to challenge the status quo because we're unwilling to make waves or we just don't want to stick out or we don't want to be those people and we just kind of want to ride under the radar. Ask for your forgiveness, Lord, because you haven't called us to ride under the radar. We're light bearers in this world, Father. And we come with the greatest story ever told and that is your story. Your son, Jesus. We come with that, Father. And so I ask you, Lord, that you embolden us. Embolden us, Lord, to be like the prophet Nathan, willing to have the tough talks. Willing to come with a message of the gospel, but willing to not budge on the things that you've called us to do and the way that you've called us to live, Lord. And so I stand before you this morning, Lord, in front of this congregation saying that I know I myself have fallen into that trap of fearing to make waves and wanting to just be a little softer on the touch, Lord. But I think that this world demands Christians with a little grit, Christians that are willing to stand in the trenches and say, no, this isn't what he's called us to do. This isn't what we're designed for. This isn't how we're supposed to live. No, we've got work to do because the world is very lost. And so we need to come and bring truth, bring truth, Lord. And so I thank you, Lord, for opportunities that will present themselves even this week maybe in you know around family around friends or whatever to to be that truth bearer lord i pray lord that you teach us how to bring truth in a way that is honoring to you not in an argumentative fashion lord but in a way that honors you that that sheds light on the grace and love and compassion that we have in our lives lord i pray that you teach us to to speak with tact to speak well I pray for eloquence of speech, Father, as we come and we bring a message in the same way that the prophet Nathan brought word to David, Lord. So I pray that you embolden every person that is here this morning. Encourage them, Lord, to step out and be willing to, to get in there and, and speak out against things that are clearly not of your will, Lord. To stand for you, Lord, and what you've called us for. 
I thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. I know we're going to do communion, and I want to do a salvation prayer after that, but I say, like, let's prepare our hearts for, for communion here. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. I'm going to read out of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse number 26, says the follow, following, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take it and eat, this is my body. Would you pray for the, the bread? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice, the sacrifice that you gave at Calvary's cross. Thank you, Lord, that you willingly submitted your body to go through the torturous torture. You allowed yourself to go through such incredible pain and suffering for us. Because you loved us. You love us. And you will always love us. We thank you for that sacrifice, Jesus. And on that night, you reminded your disciples to continue to do this. To continue to commune together. To think about your sacrifice. To think about what you did for us. And this is what we're doing this morning. So we honor you, and we thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice that you gave. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, let's partake of the bread. Verse number 27 says, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray for the cup? And Lord, the same way we are thankful for your blood. Your blood that washes us, cleanses us, makes us new, gives us a new robe, makes us a new creation in you. We cannot find this through anyone else, through anything else, through no religion, 
Through no form of meditation or trying to do any works, no, Jesus, it is through your precious blood. And once again, you told the disciples to partake of this on that night before you were taken to the cross. And so we again remember the sacrifice that you gave, Jesus, the blood that you shed, Jesus. And we are forever grateful of your blood. In Jesus' name, we partake of it. Amen. Hey, if you're here this morning and you could say to me, and perhaps if we're, if we're still live online, and you say, you know, I've either never accepted Jesus into my heart, I've never accepted this, this gift of grace and salvation and forgiveness, or if perhaps, as always, you've maybe you kind of fell off. You 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 know you were following Lord, the Lord at one point in your life, and 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 you were kind of chugging along, and then you kind of got derailed, whatever for whatever reason. And you're standing here, and you're saying, you know what? I feel this tug in my heart. I, I don't know what it is. I can tell you right now that that is the Holy Spirit saying, I want you back. I'm watching you back. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. I can I can tell you that answering that call is. Single-handedly, the best decision you can make in your life. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy or that you know life is you know super cheery and 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 it's all a breeze now once you once you become a follower of Christ. But what I can tell you is that there is something there is something wildly encouraging knowing that you stand before the Lord washed clean because of the sacrifice of Jesus, knowing that you have a Father, a, a heavenly Father that that stands behind you, that goes before you knowing that he has uh, gifted you and, and, and has equipped you so that you can be a light and, to, and an asset in his kingdom. And so I, I say to you this morning, if that is you, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart or perhaps get back, rededicate your life to him. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, I want you to just pray this prayer with me out loud this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, I thank you for that sacrifice. I thank you for taking my place. Today I ask you to come into my heart. I make you the Lord of my life, and I choose to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's clap it up for those that made that prayer now. Let me pray for you guys one last time. God, I thank you again for your word, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to come. I thank you for the opportunity to, to, to share communion together, Lord, as a body of believers, Lord, to remember the sacrifice that you made on that cross, Lord. And I thank you as always for your word, Lord. I thank you for what you spoke to the prophet Nathan, Lord. And I thank you for the fact that you've called us to be very much like him, Lord, and that we deliver the gospel. But we are also standard bearers here on this world, Lord. And we bring correction and we bring truth in a world that is so desperately in need of it. Father. So again, Lord, I ask that you embolden us, challenge us, grow us and stretch us, Lord, so that we can be those Christians that are willing to have the tough talks. We love well. And by loving well, Lord, we bring that gospel message, but we also correct and we also challenge and we also push back for the good of those that we are around, Father. So we thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah.